This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I'm here speaking on the level with Jeff Maynard. Jeff, why don't you start out by giving me your full name, the name of your home Blue Lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Uh, my name is Jeffrey Davis Maynard. I'm a member of St. James Lodge Number 47 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm also a member of Milford Lodge Number 117, which is also in Baton Rouge. Uh, this year, which is 2016, I'm serving as Worshipful Master at St. James, and I've been the Secretary at Milford Lodge for the last three years. And today we are, the occasion of our discussion is we are at the VMAP Conference for Scottish Rite for the Southern Jurisdiction in Phoenix, Arizona. Tell me a little bit about this event. So uh, this is one of three workshops that we're doing around the country this year, and we're promoting and looking for new ideas for VMAP, which is a Valley Membership Achievement Project. It's a concept that the Scottish Rite put together starting two years ago where we went out and asked the membership, hey guys, we want to talk about membership. We, want, we know we have a problem retaining members and getting new members, so what are your ideas? What works for you? What, what do you do to get somebody in? We took all those ideas, and somehow, because I can't say no to the Sovereign Grand Commander, I got uh, appointed to this, this committee to help uh, curate and shepherd the ideas into a, a workable feature, and uh, I'm, currently serving, I'm, I'm currently serving as the chairman of that committee, which... Uh, I'm not sure if I was elected by the other members because they thought I'd do a good job or I was elected because I wasn't really paying attention when they said, you know, if anybody wants this, take one step forward and everybody else took a step back. But, uh, I, I, I love doing it. it. It's one of the most fun things I get to do in Masonry because I get to, you know, this year especially is, is a lot more fun because I'm getting to go to these three workshops. Uh, I was in Houston two weeks ago. I'll be in Charlotte two weeks from now. And I get to meet brothers from all over the country. And to me... Uh, that's one of the most fun things we get to do in masonry. Traveling is the best. That's it. Yeah. I mean, so tell me, there's so many questions I want to ask you. I'll forget some, but I'll start with the basics that I usually do. Is I want you to go back to when you first heard of Freemasonry. Do you remember when that was? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my grandfather actually was grand. My my mom's dad was grandmaster of Nevada in 1960. Wow. Um, and when he went out of office as grandmaster, he became assistant grand secretary to the the guy who had been grand secretary for like 30 years. And then my grandfather took over for him uh, when he actually turned 90 and decided it was time to retire. Uh, and my grandfather took over for him and was grand secretary until 1984. Uh, so he, he passed away when I was six, but uh, most of my early childhood memories are hanging out around the Grand Lodge building in Reno, Nevada. In the office? Because, oh, yeah. Well, my mom uh, was a teacher. My dad was an electrician. My grandmother was a retired school teacher. Uh, my grandfather was a retired pharmacist who had run a cattle ranch after he retired. But Tuesday was his day to go into the Grand Lodge office and take care of, of Grand Lodge business. Um, he did a lot of it out of the house. I mean, for years, the mailing address for the Grand Lodge in Nevada was my family's P.O. box. And what's really funny is he passed away in 1984. Two years ago, I think, we got some mail for the Grand Lodge in Nevada. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, Masonry's a little slow to update mailing sometimes. <laughs> so you're... So I, I grew up running around that, that Grand Lodge building. So all of the people, my grandparents had a bridge club where they had people come over to the house on Wednesdays uh, twice a month to play bridge. And, you know, my grandfather was grand secretary. One of his closest friends was grand treasurer. He lived down the road, so he was there to play bridge, and their wives were there. So everybody who I knew to be my grandparents' friends growing up were all people who were past grandmasters. They were involved in masonry. So to me, I mean, Freemasonry is something that I grew up from the, the tiniest things I can remember. Were you involved in the I wasn't. Um, by the time I probably was of age, I'm not. 
I have no idea if there was a DMLA chapter near where I grew up, but at that point it was, uh, you know, my grandfather passed away and it, it, my grandmother... Uh, was she involved in Eastern Star? Or no, she or? actually, the only thing she ever joined was the Social Order of the Boceon. And uh, okay. I think her friend Jean Bennett from, uh, Ed, Ed Bennett was the Grand Secretary of Washington forever. And uh, he and my grandfather got to be really good friends because, I mean, they were Grand Secretaries of, of nearby states and so they saw each other at everything. And uh, Ed and Jean used to come down and, and vacation with my grandparents and they used to go up there and vacation with them. I think Jean talked her into it. But that was the only Masonic thing she ever joined. Um, what about aunts or uncles or anybody else in masonry? So I didn't, you know, it's funny, other than my grandfather, I didn't really know about anything growing up. But after I joined and kind of started shaking the family tree, so to speak, it was kind of like, oh, wait, there's a lot more. from the um, You know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm wearing a 14th degree <clears throat> ring right now, and uh, awesome. this was my grandfather's. Oh, how It was cool. given to him when he received his 14th degree in 1958. And that's and one of got, the only people that can wear it is you. There you go. Um, it, it's actually got his name uh, engraved on the inside of the band and the date that he received it. So uh, depending on how hot or cold my hand is, I'll, I have to move it from finger to finger to get it to fit because I can't resize it because the engraving takes up the entire inside of the band. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those cool things. And then when I joined, so uh, 2009, um, I, had, I had been kind of wandering so I was 30 I 31 and a half 31 and a half okay so you had all this exposure as a young man and then yep. just kind of a big I, you know I, I did a bunch of other stuff I did um, I, I swam all through high school and college um, I swam on LSU's college swim team lettered all four years you know did a, a bunch of stuff I swam played water polo was really involved in that um, I was really involved with like science club and academic team at school, you know, those were the things that, that, I, that I did at school. And I, I went off to college at LSU and uh, graduated with a degree in chemical engineering, went to grad school for a little while in environmental engineering, thought well, I wanted engineering to do Engineering takes a lot of stuff. You were a little yeah. occupied with I, was, I, I had some stuff to do. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and thought, I, for a long time I thought, you know, maybe I just want to be a swim coach. So I'm sitting here with a chemical engineering degree going, maybe I want to coach swimming. <laughs> um, but 2004, uh, I got... Uh, my first actual engineering job and was still involved in, in swimming and was still involved in doing some other things but about 2009 I started to kind of think about you know there's felt like something was missing you know it was like you know I'm, I'm, I'm not really doing anything um, you know I, my, my roommates and I would go home at the end of the day and, and play video games or goof off and I'm going you know I'm 30 something now. Maybe I ought to, you know, look, for, something, look for something else to do. Look for something meaningful to do. Um, you know, I felt kind of like I was drifting a little bit. And I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know what? I've always kind of, I was really looking for a connection to my grandfather. I mean, you know, he, he passed away when I was little, but I had all these great memories of him, and I knew that Masonry was such a huge part of his life that I thought maybe that by joining I could find a, a connection to him. I was just really looking for kind of that. And so I went on the internet and I went to the Grand Lodge of Louisiana website and, and uh, just submitted a little contact thing and, and one of the past masters from uh, St. James Lodge contacted me and was like, well, you know, you got really great timing because we're having a guest night in, in, a, in a couple, in, in two weeks. So just come down to the lodge. We have dinner at 6.30. You know, we're going to have a program and, and tell you some stuff about masonry and, and you, you might be interested. And he's like, now we wear a coat and tie. And at, at this point in my life, I'm going, okay, I own one coat and two ties. So... <laughs> That would be okay. Yeah, you know, I, I haven't gotten a grown-up wardrobe yet, <laughs> if I like to joke. Um, 
So I went to the, went to the open guest night. Um, they had a nice, interesting program, kind of on the history of Freemasonry. But I'm looking at it, going, okay, I know a lot of these things already, just from you know what was floating around in my house. Right. Um, and then I stayed afterwards, and, and they actually, you know, finished that the open part of the meeting, and, and they had some business to take care of. So I just sat. I, I was sitting in the lobby waiting for them to come out. And apparently, they had more business than I thought. So I went to the kitchen and washed their dishes. Really? Oh, wow. Came back out and was sitting there, and they came out, and they looked at me like, why are you still here? I was like, well, you guys said I needed to ask for a petition to be able to join, so I was waiting to ask for a petition. They're like, here, take it. Take it. Come back as soon as you can. Um, so I... I, I received my first degree uh, in November of 2009 and immediately after that I actually had some uh, fairly significant health problems. I had some uh, problems with nerve inflammation and I, I lost feeling in my hands and uh, ended up having to make trips back and forth to Houston to a specialist because the initial testing they did um, so the initial surface level testing they did in Baton Rouge was indicative of Lou Gehrig's disease. And so, I mean, I'm scared witless. Masonry went way on the back burner. <laughs> so I'm going back and forth to Houston, and they quickly figured out that was not it. They didn't know what it was, but they knew that wasn't the problem. So, I mean, I had spinal taps done and all this other stuff. So in about May of the next year, things had settled down, and I was like, okay, I need to get back in touch with the Lodge because I've been out of contact. I'm not sure they'll even still want me. I mean... And as I'm thinking this, the guy who was master that year called me, and he was like, hey, um, you know, we haven't heard from you in a while. We're just trying to, to touch base and, and find out, you know, if you need anything or what's going on. Are you still interested in progressing? And I laid the whole thing out for him, and he goes, we should have called you months ago. And, I mean, they were kind of upset that they had, had let me go that long dealing with this serious medical crisis. Yeah. Support. Guys were distressed. Um, That's what we did. So that, they were like, you know, we need to not let this happen to our candidates again. And so I, you know, very quickly learned the catechism and went through the, the second degree and, and received my Master of Mason grant September 23rd, 2010. Oh, you know the date and year. Yeah. <laughs> it was a memorable, memorable occasion. Yes. Wow. Um, so... You, you knew you knew a lot about masonry before you got in. Over how long was this period of the health problem? About six months. Six months. Um, what was what was drawing you other than the history with your grandfather? What was drawing you in, or what was making was masonry it. interested? In I mean, you? honestly, I have a deep love for history. I would have majored in history if I could have figured out a way to make money doing it. Right. So I figured, eh, I'll do the engineering thing, and then the history thing can be a hobby. And so it was. Part of it was the interest in the history because when I went to that open meeting, St. James Lodge is the, the oldest lodge in, in Baton Rouge. It was formed in 1844. Uh, so had you moved? Were you in? You moved I, was from living, I, I grew up in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and went to LSU for school and ended up staying down there in Baton Rouge. Okay. So I've been in, in Baton Rouge for uh, almost 18 years. On and off. I mean, I used to go home during the summer and things like that. But So it was it, the lodge that I ended up finding just totally randomly by submitting this thing online ended up being this lodge with this fantastic history uh, that I was really kind of interested in. So I wanted to learn more about that. But really, at this point, the thing that was drawing me was still looking for that connection to my grandfather. Um, so were there any surprises once you got in or now that you've been in for... Ten years? Five years. Uh, five years, I'm sorry. Um, it'll, be, it'll be six years this September. Anything you didn't expect once you got into masonry? So I, tell, uh, I was telling some people at, at a guest night that we recently had, actually, that 
you know, what I joined Masonry for was looking for a connection with my grandfather. And I found something that I totally didn't expect because I ended up, like I said, after I joined, I started kind of shaking the family tree. And the first time I went home after I joined, my dad was going, you know, I'm pretty sure my dad was a Mason. My dad's father died when my dad was 18. So I never had a chance to know that grandfather. My dad has this shoebox that he had had stashed in the top of his closet. I had never seen it. I'm like 32 years old, and I've never seen this shoebox. My dad's tearing his closet apart to find it. It's the shoebox of, of just random stuff of his dad's. And in there is a little ring case with a Masonic ring in it. It was his father's. It was, his, it was actually his grandfather's. His grandfather's? Wow. So my, my grandmother's, so my dad's mom's father joined in a lodge in Detroit, Michigan. It's actually in Centerline, Michigan, in 1944. And he had this really kind of unique ring made at a jeweler in Detroit. And when my dad's dad joined, by that point, uh, my great-grandfather had moved out to California and was actually living right next door to my dad's parents. And so when my grandpa Bob joined the lodge, his father-in-law was serving as Tyler at that time and gave him the ring and got a new ring for himself. Wow. And it's just totally random that my dad still had that. And so that's, that's the ring I wear a lot of the time. So you have that ring now? I have that ring. Oh, and cool. so, you know, I swap rings between my two grandfather's rings. Did you ever ask your dad why he didn't join? You know, my dad and I actually, right after he gave me the ring, we got to talking about why he never joined. Especially, like, right after my, my parents got married, they, they met while well, my mom was living in Southern California, and they moved back up to my mom's hometown. And at that point, um, you know, this is like 1977, so his father-in-law is the Grand Secretary of Nevada. The guy who gave him a job when they first moved up there was at that point Grand Senior Warden of Nevada. So everybody he's affiliating with is, is a Mason. He's got a pedigree. He could walk in, yeah. And we got to talking, and he goes, well, you know, I was, I was always waiting for them to ask me. And by the, t I mean, and you got to remember, this is the 70s. We lost an entire generation of men because they thought they were waiting to be asked. And, and in Europe, I think that's still the case. They, yeah. they have to ask you, but in America and... We, we can, we can yeah. make neutrally worded author offers yeah. in Louisiana. <clears throat> kind of the way we go. But we got to talking about that, and he said, by the time I figured out that, you know, I needed to take some initiative to get in, my dad had gotten really involved with uh, volunteer firefighting. He was the chief of the local volunteer fire department for 25 years. So he had gotten really involved with doing that, and because I was swimming, he was really involved with officiating swimming. He officiated, a, he ended up going to the top national levels of officiating for swimming. So that was what he poured his passion into, was those officiating swimming, because that meant he and I got to go to meets together, and right. then the, the volunteer fire service. Um, but you know, it, we, we always say that men are masons in their heart before they're, they're actually masons. There's actually this, yep. this great lecture in Louisiana about how there are four kinds of people in the world. There are uh, people who are masons both in name and nature. They've joined the fraternity and their nature is that of, of true Freemasons. There are people who are, are masons in nature but not name. They've never joined, but everything about them exudes Masonic principles. And then there are the people who are Masons in name but not nature, and the people who are neither in name nor nature. And my dad was definitely one of those guys who was a Mason in nature but not in name. I, I always like to say I was a Mason for years and I didn't know it. Yeah. Until I discovered Masonry. Exactly. We actually just had a, a, a guy join my lodge 
and what drove him to join was his father's Masonic funeral. Uh-huh. was what finally made him call and say, you know, I was really impressed with the funeral service you guys did, and, and this has been something I've been interested in for years, but I never knew what to do about it. So what do I do about it? And I said, you come and have dinner with us at our next lodge meeting, and, and we'll fill you in on the whole thing. And so a- after his first degree, he was just, he actually was in tears going, I wish I had done this while my dad was still alive. So they could have shared that? Yeah. yeah. So, so my, my dad just never joined. And even after I joined, he was kind of like, you know, I, I've reached an age in my life. And, and he, uh, my dad had fought cancer for eight years of a lymphoma-leukemia combination that most people have a two-year survival rate. Mm-hmm. So we like to say, we, you know, we got four times as much time with him as we should have. Wow. And at that point, you know, he was going, I'm dealing with this and I'm doing this and, and it would be cool, but that's going to be your thing. But he was, he was really proud that I had taken that step because, like I said, when we started looking, it was like he found that he had this scrapbook that uh, he had never really looked through and understood, but his mom's side of the family came from Ohio, and back into the Civil War generation, they were all members of lodges in Ohio. We started shaking my mom's side of the family tree, and, like, all of her aunts were in, like... Uh, the the White Shrine of Jerusalem and the Order of the Nile and the Eastern Star. and So it's like, you know, both of my grandfathers were Masons. Three of my four great-grandfathers were Masons. It's just... More history than you thought you had? Huge amount of history that I didn't even realize. Did your dad come to any of your, uh, like your initiation as Worshipful Master or your ceremony? So my, my dad passed away in 2000... Oh. December 2012, right before uh, my wife and I actually got engaged. Um, it was, he, he went, it was funny because, you know, he uh, never let chemo slow him down at all. I mean, when, when he was going through like a, a really bad set of chemotherapy and they had him on all these steroids and he couldn't sleep, he took up woodworking and he'd go out in the garage at 2.30 in the morning and just work on wood because he didn't want to disturb my mom. And he went on trips. Like, he and my mom would just go, you know, I want to go to Mount Rushmore. I've never been. Let's and go. they'd pack up the car and drive to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> That's cool. I want to go look at the leaves. They'd pack it. I mean, he had a little oxygen concentrator to, to help with the, the breathing problems he was having. And they'd just go. And they did whatever. And like I said, you know, we got four times as long with him as, as the doctors would have thought we would have gotten. Uh, so is, is Worshipful Master, you, this is your, your Worshipful Master this year. Yep. A lot of times Worshipful Master is... 25% like, of the way through my year. 25%. Yeah, but usually you have a plan or a theme or what's, yeah. what's your year about? So I, I actually, it's, it's funny because, you know, most people I talk to are like, it's two months before their installation. They're going, oh, I don't know what to do. The year I was installed as junior deacon... Uh, Bill Moeller, who's the Sovereign Grand Inspector General for Scottish Rite in Louisiana, was going to be elected Grand Junior Warden of the Grand Lodge. And so I did the math and figured out that if if the years went according to the way they should, he would be Grand Master the year that I was going... He would be Grand Master while my installation as Worshipful Master would occur. Mm-hmm. So I asked him then. I was like, if this all goes according to plan, will you install me? And he kind of looked at me, this kid who's been a Mason for less than a year... And he's going, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> if that happens, I'll do it. Um, and that, that was kind of how I, I got to know Bill and got more involved with, with doing some of these Scottish Rite things. But So I've been planning 
what I wanted to do for years, and it's kind of shifted over time, but my theme is fulfilling the promises of Freemasonry. And it's not, you know, we, everybody is, has heard the, the rumors and the legends of Masonic obligations and things like that. And we all do make promises when we join Freemasonry of things that we're going to do and not do. But at the same time that, that the candidates are making promises, the Lodge is effectively making promises to the candidate. Right. We're making promises to our members of what it is that we're going to do as Freemasons. We're making promises of, you know, we're going to take care of your family if anything happens to you. We're going to take care of you if anything happens to you. We're going to provide information and knowledge. And so this year at my installation, um, with big public installation, we had about 80 people there. Uh, my mom was able to come. It was uh, a really special night, but I had all of the officers just wear plain white aprons. We didn't wear the officer aprons for the installation. Mm. And the reason I said that was when we give a man an apron as an entered apprentice, we make certain promises of what that apron means and what that tie between the new candidate and the existing membership means. And I think that sometimes we always remember the promises that we made of what to do and not to do. But once we're members, we send sometimes forget the promises that we've made to those candidates of things that we're going to do because they're not uh, spoken in the same fashion. And so my, my theme for this year in my installation speech was about how we need to remember those promises and those ties and work on fulfilling all of those promises. So like one of the things that, that I've instituted is we take five minutes at the beginning of every meeting after we've opened because everybody's got a cell It doesn't matter how old you are, you've got a cell phone. I've got 90-year-old guys in my lodge that have a cell phone. So I took and, and got a, a stack of index cards and printed the name and phone number and birthday and, and Master Mason anniversary date of every member of my lodge on a, an index card. And I put the lodge at refreshment and I set an egg timer for five minutes and we pass out random cards and everybody takes out their cell phone and calls just to say hi, just to check up on people. In lodge. In lodge. We just That's put the lodge at cool. refreshment, pull the cell phone out and call. Say, hey brother, uh, I'm up here at the lodge, we got a meeting tonight. We're just calling to check on you, say hi, see how you're doing. That's pretty cool. And we have gotten more good stories from people who are just, I mean, it's, it's great. The egg timer will go off because the five minutes are up, and there are guys who stand up and leave the lodge because they want to finish the conversation they're having with somebody. And that's just one of those little ways that we're trying to remember the promises we made to those members and get back in touch with all of them and find them all and really make a difference in their lives because I truly believe in, and you know, I joined Freemasonry looking for a connection to my grandfather and because I loved history. I've stayed an active Freemason because of the fellowship and the brotherhood and those promises. Those promises are what keep me coming back to meetings and being involved in things because I truly believe that Freemasonry has made me a better member of my community. It's changed my relationship with God for the better because the introduction to moral principles and just different ways of thinking about things has caused me to deepen my own faith by digging deeper into why I believe what I believe. I know it has an impact on people and so I want to give those guys who don't come to watch, who aren't that active, just a little taste of that fellowship and see if that makes a difference in why they come. You know, I'm, I'm not active because I love history or because, you know, I, I wanted to, to do the things my grandfather did. I'm active because we're out there actively engaged in changing people's lives. 
Have there, have there been men in masonry who have changed your life? Absolutely. I mean, we talked about Bill Muller. I mean, he has been a huge influence on me. He's been a, a sounding board. He's been a, a giver of advice. He's always been there when I have questions. I mean, last year he was Grandmaster of Louisiana, but he always had time to talk. But he always had time to talk to anybody. Anybody who wanted to just visit with him or, or pick his brain or ask for his help, he just gives of it freely. And um, like the Sovereign Grand Commander, Ronnie Seals, the same way. If he can find, if you need a couple minutes of his time and he can find them, you get his full attention. And it's because the men who mentored them when they were little Bimalays and young Masons treated them with that respect and that openness. And so they're paying it forward. And so I'm looking at, at what they've done and said, how can I pass this on? I mean, I'm still really young for a Mason, but we've got a lot of young guys coming into my lodge because it's the closest lodge to LSU. And so we get these young guys in college or who have just graduated from college and they're looking to continue some kind of fraternal bond that they had in college and they're coming to my lodge. How do we impact those guys and how do we pass on that same level of, of respect and guidance to the next generation and how do we keep that moving forward is, is a question that weighs on me a lot. Um, I would have never met uh, my best friend without masonry. I mean, I, I always used to joke, I'm like, you know, all the people who came around my, my grandparents' house were, were masons and they, they met through Freemasonry. Um, I don't think I've been a, a mason for more than, I don't think I've been a mason for a year yet. Um, met my friend Nick and we just hit it off. I mean, we hit it off. We were talking about, we both love history. We got to talking about Freemasonry. We were interested in the same things. I actually joined my second Blue Lodge the year he was going to be master because he was like, look, our secretary's quitting. I need you to join this lodge and be my secretary to help me kind of clean things up and figure out what's going on. Because we had taken a lodge that had been kind of down and, and joined it. And I was like, okay. Um, he was in, he was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. Wow, um, so tight. That there's not. It's a really weird week if we don't see each other twice. So what do you think masonry has to offer today? Today's young men, because I think you know we're here at, at VMAP. We're talking about membership. We're talking about um, you know making it relevant to, to today's not just youth in college, but young men in general. What, what do you think it still has to offer? So I think, you know, the, the International Master Counselor was talking today about how young men are, uh, young people in general, they don't come and ask how to do things. They, they look it up on the Internet. But there are some things that you can't learn from a YouTube video. There are aspects of, of how to actually be a man that you can't learn from the Internet. And Freemasonry has always been, you know, that shorthand that, everybody uses but nobody really digs into of taking good men and making them better. Well, you're a young man, you're heading out into the world, the definitions of, of what being a man are that you get bombarded with by culture are confusing, they're odd, they're all over the place, you don't know what you're supposed to act like, you don't know how you're supposed to be. And the young men that I've, that I've spoken to have come into my lodge or come and visited, they're all looking for something. They're all, they all realize that they've, they've got a, a hole that's missing and they're not sure what it is. 
and I think for a lot of them it's having the ability to just have fellowship with a group of other men. Um, psychologists have done a ton of studies about the need that men have for male bonding. Men need to have time to develop as men. And you look at any old tribal societies that, that aren't hugely developed, you've still got this older men mentoring younger men, but you still have this male bonding where the old men learn things from the younger men and the young men learn things from the older men and there's just this great interplay of, of communication and growth. And I think that's what we still have to offer. It's not, you know, Freemasonry is not about the, the titles or the accolades or, um, you know, getting as much regalia or as many lapel pins as you can. It's about that one-on-one -on -one communication or that small group communication or that opportunity to just be together with other men. Um, the, the article I wrote for this month's uh, Lodge newsletter was actually about the, the psalm verse, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And I don't think that that means that we just don't quarrel with each other. It actually means that we celebrate each other's triumphs, we share each other's woes, and we share kind acts with each other trying to promote the welfare of each other. It's a community of men and in today's world you have what people think is interconnectivity with, oh, I've got 700 friends on Facebook. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. You have 700 people you talk to on the internet. Right. And there is such a huge difference between the community aspect of a virtual community and the community aspect of a true community of people that you see and that you know. You can have some deep conversations with people on the internet, but do you truly know them? Because you're not, they could just be, oh, I'm gonna mess with this guy and, and write this, and you think it's a deep conversation and they're, and they're just fooling with you. But when you actually sit down with another man or a group of men and you have a conversation about anything, principles of morality, you sit down and you have a conversation about men about you're talking to a guy who's been married for 50 years and you're a guy who just got married. Yeah, there's a generational difference. Yeah, there's a huge difference in what the expectations were when he got married and what you got married. But you know what? He's probably learned a thing or two. And you might not have met him otherwise. You might not have had the opportunity to meet that guy. There are so many men that I absolutely would never, never, I mean, never crossed paths with if it hadn't been for Freemasonry. And they're some of my closest friends. They're the guys who I know if anything happened to me would do what my grandfather's friends did for my grandmother. After my grandfather passed away, I don't remember a week that didn't go by without some mason knocking on the door just to check on her for years. It wasn't like they were only there for a month. They were people who truly cared about my grandfather, and as a result, they truly cared about his widow. Um, I mean, the guy who took over as grand secretary after my grandfather passed away was constantly just checking on her. How are you doing? Do you need anything? And he was, he was such a good friend to her. And so I know that the guys that I've had an opportunity to meet in Freemasonry I know that they would do that for, for my wife if anything happened to me. I know that they would 
you know, uh, my wife and I just had our, our first kid uh, 13 months ago. And, Congratulations. Uh, a little boy named Calvin. And uh, I know that he is going to benefit from the example of good men that the guys I associate with due to Freemasonry will give him as he grows up. You know, you look at, at the community of people that help raise your kids and who are the influences on your children and who do you want to be the influences on your children. And between the people I've had the opportunity to meet with in our church and the people I've had an opportunity to meet with in the lodge, I know that he is going to see a lot of good examples about how to grow up and be a good man. Any closing thoughts or anything, last remarks you'd like to leave us with? You know, I think that a lot of people, uh, the Grand Lodge of England did this, this survey a couple of years ago, and they found that 96% of people who have an opinion about Freemasonry have a favorable opinion. The problem was only 6% of people had an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. You know, we, we've gone from being something that everybody knew about. <clears throat> I mean, you used to give directions in small towns by go to the Masonic Lodge and turn left to being something that is, I mean, we're seeing a resurgence due to things that are, that are not true, like Dan Brown's book and uh, the National Treasure movie and, and a couple other things like that. We're seeing a resurgence of public interest in Freemasonry. And I think that our future is growing that public awareness of who we are and what we are. Uh, the Grand Commander put it pretty well in his allocution at the 20. 15 biennial session where he said, you know, when we get it right, we really get it right. We support men who have just lost their wives. We support wives who have just lost their husbands. We pick men up when they've fallen down. You know, it doesn't matter what mistake they make. They're still our brothers, and we're there to pick you back up and help you. And I have found so much inner benefit from Freemasonry that I can't imagine it doesn't remain relevant forever. But that key is going to be how do we inform the people, the general public, how do we get the good face of Masonry back out? Not what's been on NPR lately, <laughs> but no. the good face of good men who are upstanding in the community, in the churches, in their world, in their workplace back in front of the people and make them realize that we still are relevant and we still do have something to offer. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're there. We're still relevant. And uh, I wouldn't, you know, I've, all, I've only been a member for, little, for less than, than six years. I've, I've been a Scottish Rite Mason since October of 2010. And I wouldn't trade one day of, of the time I've spent in Masonry because it's been remarkable. Well, thank you very much for taking Certainly. the time to talk to me today. Happy to do it. This has been fun.